Just a quick update before we begin. Thanks to Audible, History of the Marine Corps can now give you a free audiobook. Audible is known for its tens of thousands of selections, and I use it almost on a daily basis for myself and for some of the reference material we use on the show. In the spirit of transparency, History of the Marine Corps receives a kickback for everyone who signs up, but the author or the publisher does not sponsor me. Every recommendation is a book I have personally read or listened to. I'll include my suggestion at the end of the episode, but don't feel obligated to select my recommendation. This offer is available to any of the tens of thousands of audiobooks offered by Audible. And whether you decide to continue your membership, this book is yours to keep forever. Visit audibletrial.com slash marinehistory for a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial. Now on to the show. Welcome to episode 83 of History of the Marine Corps, The Boxer Rebellion. Our last episode reviewed U.S. involvement during the Philippine-American War. After Spain ceded the Philippines to the United States after the Spanish-American War, Filipinos protested against another colonial ruler. They wanted independence and started a rebellion against the U.S. presence in the Philippines. This episode jumps back to the end of the 1800s and reviews marine activity in China during the Boxer Rebellion. We begin the episode by introducing the events leading up to why multiple countries sent troops to China in the first place, as well as covering a few major battles against the Boxers and the Chinese military. A young Smedley Butler and Dan Daly make their appearance during the Boxer Rebellion and Marines would be awarded the majority of Medals of Honor during this campaign. Thanks for joining. Now let's talk about the history of the Marine Corps. Towards the end of the 19th century, the Qing dynasty gradually lost its influence on the Chinese people, mostly due to multiple defeats by foreign nations and a failing economy. The 1890s was the tail end of a series of events referred to as China's Century of Humiliation. The dynasty overtaxed their farmers and increased rent, resulting in most agriculturalists deserting their property. No farmers equals no food, and the dynasty experienced famine. And although Mother Nature is not something the Chinese could control, a series of natural disasters impacted the country's state as well. The First Opium War contributed to further economic downfall, and banditry started to become common. Britain believed that the principles of free trade applied to China, and they demanded the right to sell opium to the Chinese, even though the Qing dynasty refused. The two countries fought over this decision, and Britain ended up victorious, destroying most of the Chinese naval ships in the process. Britain forced China into a treaty that granted them territory and open commerce. The country experienced a trade imbalance, which resulted in crippling the economy further. This treaty also encouraged organized crime by outlaws. The Chinese people began to distrust their government and multiple secret societies arose as a form of self-defense against foreigners. The Qing dynasty also enforced the principles of Confucius, 
and regarded them as superior to all other teachings. As a result, the main religions of Buddhism and Taoism took a backseat, which caused further distrust within China. This philosophy set the groundwork for the Taiping Rebellion. The Taiping Heavenly Kingdom was inspired by Christianity, and they vowed to purify the nation. This Christian movement pursued policies to eliminate Chinese religion, and they destroyed temples and libraries and Buddhist monasteries. This rebellion resulted in 20 to 30 million deaths. Chinese estimates raised that number to 70 million. In 1895, the Empire of Japan destroyed the Chinese in another battle, and as a result, they were forced to sign additional treaties surrendering several of their territories. In addition to the lost land, the First Sino-Japanese War impacted crop yields, the Chinese economy, and encouraged lawlessness in many parts of the country. There are multiple other rebellions, expeditions, and religious societies happening during the 19th century. The failure of the Qing dynasty began to impact how Chinese citizens viewed visitors from other nations, along with their perception of their country's leadership. They distrusted everyone, and soon, Chinese citizens started to rebel. Secret societies gained popularity, and they began focusing on strengthening their defenses through martial arts and taking a stand against foreigners and Christianity in China. One of the main societies to rise from this instability was the Yihei Xuan, also known as the Righteous and Harmonious Fists. They frequently held public performances displaying their martial arts skills and prophesizing that their beliefs made them invincible to modern weaponry. I'd argue that their public appearance diminished the whole secret society thing, but regardless, they started to pick up notoriety around the world. Western countries recognized the Yi Hei Xuan's superior martial arts skills and began referring to them as boxers. As they grew in strength, they started to attack missionaries and those who converted to Christianity. Many foreigners living and trading in China began to feel the impact of the boxers. Foreigners insisted the government of China put an end to this faction, and in the summer of 1899, the governor of Shandong, one of the main cities where the boxers recruited from, threw them out. But as the boxers continued to grow in strength, they became more organized and started deploying more sophisticated attacks. Rebels targeted railways and telegraph lines, and soon, more followers started to join this movement. The Qing dynasty began to push back against Western countries' request to stop the boxers. Eventually, the government changed its stance and declared that secret societies should not be treated as criminals. This change in heart left foreigners in China defenseless, and to compensate for the lack of Chinese intervention, military detachments were sent to Beijing to provide protection. Now to avoid any confusion here, the capital city of Peking was renamed in the late 1950s to Beijing. I'll use the city's current name moving forward, but they're the same place. In November 1898, Lieutenant Robert Dutton and 18 Marines from the Boston, Raleigh, and the Baltimore traveled to Beijing. Another 30 Marines from the same ships landed in Tianjin soon after. By May 1900, tensions continued to escalate, 
and another 48 Marines and three sailors under Captain John Myers were sent from the Oregon and the Newark to Beijing. Soon after their arrival, the boxers surrounded the city. On June 6th, the secret society started to destroy railways and successfully cut off transportation and communication to the foreign delegations. They attacked and massacred more Christians. As a response to this chaos, Britain requested 2,000 troops to help with the uprising. Vice Admiral Sir Edward Seymour organized an international force of 2,000 men, including a detachment of 112 United States sailors and Marines, commanded by U.S. Navy Captain McCalla. This new force marched towards Beijing. When the British reached the capital, the Chinese government ordered them to leave, but Britain refused. And on June 20th, the Chinese attacked the British in what is known as the Battle of Beijing. When they arrived, they faced a strong Chinese defense, and the Western force was pushed back and unable to reach their destination. The coalition lost about a quarter of its army during multiple engagements with the Chinese, including 25 Americans wounded and three killed. Seymour managed to capture a strong position, and he fortified its defenses until additional forces could arrive. Britain decided that a stronger force was needed and formed the Eight-Nation Alliance. This multinational military coalition consisted of forces from Britain, Russia, France, Japan, Germany, Italy, Austria-Hungary, and the United States. On June 20th, things took a turn for the worst. The German minister was killed in a riot, and while German detachments were attempting to recover his body, the Chinese attacked. Britain moved foreign women and children to the English legation. They were attacked as well, which opened up the option to the Chinese to attack more women and children. Four days later, further attacks by the Chinese took place against the Germans, but they were driven off. By the end of the month, daily attacks became the norm. A wall surrounding the foreign legations provided protection against attacks from the Chinese. To get around this defense structure, the boxers and Chinese military built a tower overlooking these walls, rendering them useless. Captain Myers was given the task of capturing the new building. Along with a few other foreign soldiers, the Marines carefully planned their attack, and they managed to take the Chinese troops garrisoned in the tower by surprise, causing them to flee. The Marines moved in and occupied the structure. Two Marine privates were killed during this attack. Captain Myers was wounded. Over in the United States, the President and Congress started to become more concerned with activity in China. They ordered the commander of the Asiatic Fleet to provide all available support to U.S. forces in the Far East. Rear Admiral George Remy ordered all available Marines in the Philippines to Taku, something we covered in our last episode. The Army received similar orders. The first Marines to arrive consisted of seven officers and 131 enlisted, commanded by Major Waller. On June 20th, Waller left by train from Taku to Tingen. He was 12 miles from his target and decided to set up camp for the night. Nearby was a detachment of 450 Russians, 
and in cooperation with the Russian troops, the Marines marched towards their target, reaching the edge of the city early the next morning. U.S. and Russian troops faced significant resistance from the Chinese, and after around two hours of fighting, the combined force retreated to a position where they could rest for the night. While they fled, Marines were responsible for guarding the rear of the formation. Three Marines were killed, and seven more were wounded. Additional British and Russian forces were sent to reinforce the detachment, and the combined strength of the attackers grew to 2,000. Waller and his small group of Marines joined the British Naval Detachment and were placed under the authority of Commander Craddock. On the 24th, they tried their luck again. The Chinese resistance was still intense, but they managed to overrun defenses and take the city, freeing any foreigners who lived there. Waller lost one other Marine during this battle, and three were injured. McCalla was wounded as well, three times, and he was unable to proceed any further. He turned his detachment over to Waller and headed back to his ship. There were still 7,000 Chinese troops in Tianjin, and the Russians initially decided to deal with them independently. They attacked, but the defenses were too strong. The Marines, consisting of two officers and 40 enlisted, and the British naval detachments, would join the Russians and create a force 1,800 strong. This new army was able to drive the remaining Chinese soldiers from their position. Waller reported the following, quote, Our men have marched 97 miles in the five days, fighting all the way. They have lived on about one meal a day for about six days, and have been cheerful and willing always. They have gained the highest praise from all present and have earned my love and confidence. They are like Falstaff's army in appearance, but with brave hearts and bright weapons. Unquote. For those of you unfamiliar with Shakespeare, Waller is jokingly referring to Sir John Falstaff, one of Shakespeare's most popular characters. He was typically depicted as a coward and a clown, and Falstaff was given the task of building an army for the King of England. Instead of using his power to recruit the best men, he only recruited wealthy merchants and impoverished farmers. The merchants were able to bribe Falstaff and be released from service, leaving him with a group of dishonest and an undesirable army. I thought it was a pretty funny reference to add to an official report. I bet you never would have thought you would learn a little Shakespeare in Marine Corps history. Although the alliance was successful during this battle, the Chinese, including the boxers, still controlled most of the walled city of Tianjin. They were also growing in strength, much faster than the eight-nation alliance could reinforce its troops. The French, Russian, Japanese, and British sent more troops to bring up the numbers. The United States sent the 9th Infantry and the 1st Regiment of Marines. The total combined force of these two units was about 1,000 men. With the additional forces on land, a plan was carried out to take the walled city. On the night of July 12th, the Russians began the attack on Tianjin with artillery. The following morning, the Marines, along with the 9th Infantry and commanded by Marine Colonel Robert Meade, joined the Royal Welsh Fusiliers and a British naval force. British Army Brigadier General Peter Dorward commanded the entire military force. 
During this battle, the actual plan of attack isn't well documented, but the gist of it is that Dorward's troops attacked the city from the south, as Japanese forces struck from Dorward's right flank. The frontal assault consisted mostly of British and American troops, and they had to navigate across a flat plain which consisted of a lot of patches of marshland. Their only cover was the occasional grave mound and levees built up to hold back the water from the marshes. Casualties were high for both sides. Dorward's troops reached the walls, but they didn't have a strong hold on their position. They decided to withdraw to a more secure location, set up camp for the night, and continue their attack the next morning. As day broke, the troops stood by while the south gate was bombarded. This feat was their signal to attack. One of the Marines who fought during this battle was a young 18-year-old First Lieutenant Smedley Butler. This was an intense fight and resulted in multiple casualties. A total of eight Medals of Honor were awarded to Marines for this conflict alone. But true to their spirit, the Marine Corps kept up their morale and continued to fight in other campaigns. The Chinese resistance in Tianjin was destroyed, and the next target on Dorward's list was Beijing. However, his loss was so great that he no longer had the men needed to take the city. The United States sent more army troops to support efforts in China. On August 3rd, the 6th Cavalry arrived, along with a battalion of light artillery and the 14th Infantry. An additional battalion of Marines was sent in as well. The total combined strength was 18,600. Once they arrived, they immediately began their attack. The boxers destroyed railways to Beijing, and a fleet of Chinese ships, referred to as junks, were used instead. They traveled up the Peihou River to reach their destination. This trek was another torturous journey. Although Chinese troops attacked periodically, most of the deaths were caused by the scorching heat and dry weather. On August 6th, the Chinese attacked again, but due to well-aimed shots by U.S. Marines, they were driven off quickly. The troops continued to advance 12 miles per day in these miserable conditions. And by August 12, 1900, the Japanese captured Tung Chao, the last Chinese stronghold before Beijing. The Alliance had little in their way before their final destination. All Allied commanders met and agreed that the march the following day would be short, so the troops could rest before the battle. However, early on August 13th, an intense gunfight was heard in the direction of Beijing. It turned out to be the Russians. They ignored this agreement and proceeded to attack alone. U.S. forces immediately marched towards Beijing to join the Russian forces. When they arrived, Russian troops already captured one of the gates. By 1500, both Russian and U.S. troops, which included two companies of Marines, had reached the wall of Tartar City. And the next day, the force attacked the Imperial City. One of the attacking columns was led by Marines during the initial attack. The remaining Marines covered the Qian Men Gate and cleared the area for incoming artillery. Two companies of Marines set up positions in a nearby pagoda, and another battalion of Marines took up positions on the wall. The accurate rifle fire by these Marines significantly reduced the amount of resistance received by the Chinese forces. Their attack was successful, 
and soon the remaining Chinese troops fled, along with the imperial court, leaving the country without a government. A young private Dan Daly would earn his first Medal of Honor during this battle. As Chinese troops fled, they looted whatever items they could carry with them, and when they were gone, the Allied troops did the same. After the battle, Marines were sent to the inner city of Beijing and would remain until September 28th. On that date, most of them headed back to the Philippines. The U.S. Army, specifically the 9th Infantry, took up responsibility for guarding U.S. citizens in China. This force was eventually relieved by 100 Marines, commanded by Captain Harry Lee on September 12, 1905. A year later, the strength would grow by 25%. And by 1938, the total strength had increased to over 500 Marines. Six years after the Marine Corps relieved the army, China was in a state of chaos. In 1911, the Xinhai Revolution ended the Qing Dynasty, the last imperial dynasty in China. The Chinese government could do little to quell this uprising. Foreign nations would continue to be involved with armed interventions, and sometimes that included U.S. forces. Some of the U.S. Navy ships assigned to the Asiatic fleet were stationed at multiple Chinese ports and prepared for a potential attack. Amphibious landings were also conducted, which involved Marines and sailors from those ships. The Marines were involved in an intervention in October 1911, and troops from the Helena guarded the American consulate, the Standard Oil plant, and the Power and Light Company for weeks. The following month, additional Marines from the Albany were sent to shore to protect the commercial cable company. Further Marines were sent from the Philippines again, and during the same month, 15 officers and 360 enlisted, commanded by Major Philip Bannon, traveled from Alangapo on the Rainbow to Shanghai. A company of Marines from the Philippines were also sent to Beijing. In March 1912, Chinese factions threatened foreigners again, and U.S. troops constructed defenses for additional protection. The Qing Dynasty would finally collapse in 1912, ending their 2,000 years of imperial rule in China. A total of nine Marines were killed in action during the Boxer Rebellion, and 17 were wounded. Most Medal of Honors were given to Marines, and out of a whopping 59 Medals of Honor, Marines would receive 33 of them. The Boxer Rebellion would be the first time a Medal of Honor was awarded to a Marine posthumously. Private Harry Fisher was killed on July 16th while helping to erect a barricade near the wall in Beijing. A young, Private Dan Daly received his first Medal of Honor for volunteering to stay alone on the bastion of the wall while undergoing constant fire from the enemy on the night of July 15th. Marine Corps officers were not qualified for the Medal of Honor until 1913, but their bravery in China was usually awarded by promotions. Captain John Myers was promoted to Major. Smedley Butler and Henry Leonard were promoted from First Lieutenant to Captain. These newly promoted captains were singled out in a report by a British officer in charge during the Tianjin. Quote, Among many instances of personal bravery in the action, I propose specially to bring to notice and dispatches the conduct of First Lieutenant Smedley D. Butler, United States Marine Corps, 
and bringing in a wounded man from the front under heavy and accurate fire. Lieutenant Butler was wounded while doing so, but I'm glad to learn not seriously. The regimental adjutant, First Lieutenant Henry Leonard, as Lieutenant Butler was suffering severely, volunteered to carry him out of the firing line. This gallant feat he successfully accomplished, but I regret to say, was very dangerously wounded in doing so. Unquote. Three of the officers who served during the Boxer Rebellion would become commandants of the Marine Corps. American missionaries in China would provide a heartfelt thanks to the Marines. Quote, the Americans who have been besieged in Peking desire to express their hearty appreciation of the courage, fidelity, and patriotism of the American Marines, to whom we so largely owe our salvation. By their bravery in holding an almost untenable position on the city wall in the face of overwhelming numbers, and in cooperating and driving the Chinese from a position of great strength, they made all foreigners in Peking their debtors, and have gained for themselves an honorable name among the heroes of their country. Unquote. While the Marines were engaged in China, the Philippines, and Latin America, countries in Europe, Asia, and Africa were fighting their own battles. Eventually, the conflicts would escalate into the Great War or World War I, as most of us know it. In school, you probably learned that the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand was the reason why the world went to war. And although there is truth to that statement, the reality is that tensions have been brewing for over 50 years, and many of these events could be attributed to the motivations for World War I. Thanks for listening. Next week, will introduce the Great War. Welcome to this week's book recommendation. This week's audiobook is The Sleepwalkers, How Europe Went to War in 1914 by Christopher Clark. Similar to last week's recommendation, The Sleepwalkers recounts the events leading up to World War I. However, this book is written over 50 years after the Guns of August, and it introduces new research into the story. This is a long book almost 24 hours on Audible, but Clark covers a lot of the details previously ignored by scholars when discussing the events leading up to World War I. Visit audibletrial.com slash marinehistory to download this audiobook for free and receive a free 30-day trial. But don't feel obligated to select my recommendation. This free audiobook applies to any of the thousands of Audible choices, and whether you decide to continue your membership with Audible, this book is yours to keep, forever. If you like what you're hearing, check out historyofthemarinecorps.com. Here you can subscribe to our newsletter, find out more information about each show, and look at references used for each episode. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Marine History, and on Instagram at History of the Marines. If you're enjoying the podcast, tell a friend. We count on listeners like you to share, and any help would be greatly appreciated. If you don't like what you hear, please contact us through historyofthemarinecorps.com and let us know why. I'm always looking for ways to improve. Thanks for listening and Semper Fi.